Hello, welcome to The Quest. My name is Alan Mulhern. We continue our exploration of Young's answer to Job by focusing on the final six chapters. The listener may ask, why is Young so preoccupied with visions of the apocalypse when he started his text with the book of Job, which has no apocalypse within it? The answer is that Young believes God needs to enter into humanity but it is inevitable that his dark side enters also. Young starts with Yahweh's dark side with respect to Job, and then moves to the apocalyptic visions of Enoch, Ezekiel and Daniel as further evidence of this dark side of the Creator. From there, Young examines the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, that presents the most extreme apocalyptic argument of all. In both the Christian and Jewish traditions, the source of the apocalypse is God himself. This takes us to modern times, where an apocalypse of the whole earth is now possible. For Young, all of this is the dark side of God. We need to bear in mind that Young was writing this book in the very early 1950s. He had lived through the First World War, and the collapse of 19th century European civilization, the rise of Nazism and its takeover of German society, and Germany was on the doorstep of Switzerland, the horrors of the Second World War, the Holocaust, and the nuclear bombs that had been dropped on Japan in 1945. He was fortunate enough to live in Switzerland throughout and never was directly involved in these events himself. However, he knew many people that had suffered and died in them. Although Young makes scarce reference to this background in the text, it is clear that he believes that the shadow in mankind's psyche and the technological means at our disposal, especially weapons of mass destruction, leave us in a most precarious apocalyptic situation. Young admits that, with respect to John of the Apocalypse, as he calls him, he has never seen such brutal opposites in anyone's vision except those who are totally psychotic or criminally insane. Nevertheless, he believes John fits into none of these categories and that his vision is coherent. This is because, says Young, that John, in his older age, accepted the dark side of God and knew that he is to be loved and feared. In this episode, we arrive at the last part of the answer to Job, chapters 15 to 20. Three of Young's arguments stand out. Firstly, the actual dangers of an apocalypse in our own time. Secondly, the importance of a uniting symbol such as that of a child hero or the Virgin Mary. And thirdly, reflections on the nature of God. Firstly, let's examine how seriously Young believes a modern apocalypse is possible. Here are some quotations. In chapter 15, Young says, The thread by which our fate hangs is very thin. It could be destroyed by even one person. Unquote. This was totally true in Young's day, and even more so in ours. 
Young believes that John of the Apocalypse foretells the possible dangers at the end of the Christian era, that is, our own time. Quote, he outlines the programme for the whole Eon of Pisces, with its dramatic changes into opposites, and its dark end, which we still have to experience, and before whose truly apocalyptic possibilities mankind shudders. Unquote. In chapter 16, Young asks, quote, Could anyone in his right mind deny that John correctly foresaw at least some of the possible dangers which threatened the world? Not nature, but the genius of mankind has knotted the hangman's noose with which it can execute itself at any moment. This is simply another façon de parler, manner of speaking, for what John called the wrath of God. Unquote. In chapter 17, Young comments, quote, The situation today is so staggering and precarious that we have to consider the dark side of the apocalypse. These things are not compatible with a good God. God is a duality. Unquote. In chapter 18, Young continues, quote, Everything now depends on man. Immense powers of destruction are given into his hands. And the question is whether he can resist the will to use it. Unquote. Young points to the tremendous moral challenge facing humanity, especially concerning our unconsciousness. He comments, quote, The only thing that really matters now is whether man can climb up to a higher moral level, to a higher plane of consciousness, in order to be equal to the superhuman powers which the fallen angels have played into his hands. But he can make no progress with himself unless he becomes very much better acquainted with his own nature. Unfortunately, a terrifying ignorance prevails in this respect, and an equally great aversion to increasing the knowledge of his intrinsic character. Unquote. Speaking more directly, he comments, quote, Since the Apocalypse, from the Book of Revelation, we now know again that God is not only to be loved but also to be feared. For the dark God has slipped the atom bomb and chemical weapons into his hands and given him the power to empty out the apocalyptic vials of wrath on his fellow creatures. Unquote. And finally, he introduces the amazing idea that some kind of gnosis might be possible by facing up to this terrible possibility of an apocalypse. Quote, Since he, that is man, has been granted an almost godlike power, he can no longer remain blind and unconscious. He must know something of God's nature and of metaphysical processes if he is to understand himself and thereby achieve gnosis of the divine. Unquote. We are left in no doubt that Jung believed in the probability of an apocalypse in the second half of the 20th century. We also know from Marie-Louise von Franz, his student and collaborator, that on his deathbed in 1961, Jung told her of visions in which vast parts of the earth were devastated but he added, thank God it was not the whole earth. 
On the more hopeful side, let us next look at what Jung meant by a mediating symbol. When facing the dark side of the apocalypse, we may be able to see a duality of God. This duality is an antinomy or union of opposites. From the tension of the opposites of light and dark, good and evil, a third irrational symbol may arise. For example, that of a child hero or the squaring of a circle. This is more to do with the spirit of love and wisdom, suggests Jung, rather than destruction. Jung believes that mankind will hardly be capable of doing this on its own, without higher help. As it were, mankind requires an advocate in heaven, such as the child hero, who brings the healing and wholeness to the fragmentary human being. Jung gives an example of the sun-woman that appears in the Book of Revelation, who is to give birth to a child. He says that such images are also widely found in the literature on alchemy, in which all the symbols of the sacred marriage and the sun, S-O-N, are clearly portrayed. It indicates the individuation process and can be observed in the symbols that rise up out of the unconscious in dreams. Jung says, quote, It is the task of the conscious mind to understand these hints. If this does not happen, the process of individuation will nevertheless continue. The only difference is that we become its victims and are dragged along by fate, towards that inescapable fate, which we might have reached walking upright. An astounding implication of this might be that the apocalypse is a collective, unconscious individuation process, and it is only by mankind becoming more conscious that it can be avoided. Jung continues with another mediating symbol, the Virgin Mary. He says, quote, In recognition of this truth and inspired by the Holy Ghost, the Pope has declared the assumption of the Virgin Mary, which is the most significant event since the Reformation. It is the anamnesis, or recalling, of Sophia, unquote. Young must be referring to events purely in the Catholic Church of Christianity, since this can hardly be the most significant event since the Reformation. Here he shows his radically esoteric mysticism. He believes that it is irrelevant that the assumption of the Virgin Mary into heaven is physically impossible. For clarification, the Catholic Church had just declared that the Virgin Mary was assumed into heaven in a physical body and did not die. Indeed, the virgin birth of Christ was also physically impossible. Jung is not interested in ordinary reality. It is the symbol that matters. The assumption of the Virgin Mary is, he says, quote, the deep longing in the masses for an intercessor and mediatrix to compensate for the truly apocalyptical world situation today. That's in 1952. Unquote. It is the need for an archetype, then, and renewed hope. Jung especially fiercely criticises the Protestant churches for being unable to see the natural development of the symbol and archetype in general, and how they stick rigidly to the doctrines of the past. He praises the Catholic Church, which points to the hieros gamos, the sacred marriage in the heavens. Again, Jung's alchemical theology is extreme. 
Most Catholics would be scandalised to think that the assumption of the Virgin was to bring about a sacred marriage in the heavens, consummate it and have a saviour child. In his letters, Jung says that the reception of his book in 1952 was pure poison. One can see why. Jung insists that the assumption of the Virgin and a sacred marriage point to the individuation process. He repeats, quote, that this can be observed clearly in dreams, and one can read about it in the Hermetic philosophy from the Middle Ages. The parallelism between the symbols is astonishing to anyone who knows both the psychology of the unconscious and alchemy. Unquote. Finally, we come to Jung's reflections on God, and things don't get any easier. Many parts of the answer to Job are difficult to understand. While Jung's comments on Yahweh are comprehensible, this is hardly the case when he considers God more abstractly. One needs to remember that he did not intend to write a highly argued book. It was more like a personal testament that flowed out of him. Throughout it, he is speaking, as I've mentioned, in many voices. And by the end of the book, this multiplicity of tongues intensifies. He often said that all the archetypes were symbols and were ultimately mysterious. Being a symbol does not mean something is illusory or not true. Archetypes lie far beyond the conscious realm and can only enter into consciousness through symbols. Jung says, quote, you cannot approach the archetype objectively because it can only manifest through our psyche, unquote. The symbol embodied in the God image, the most complex symbol of all, takes many forms in the different world religions, in the visions of different mystics, and in the world's spiritual literature. It also acts out from within our unconscious. The God archetype evolves as our consciousness develops. God is part of us, but at root is completely mysterious. The last sentence of Answer to Job puts it like this, quote, That is to say, even the enlightened person remains what he is, and is never more than his own limited ego, before the One, who dwells within him, whose form has no knowable boundaries, who encompasses him on all sides, fathomless as the abysms of the earth, and as vast as the sky. Unquote. Trying to summarise Jung's views on God is difficult. Two thoughts came to mind as I paused in front of this task. The first was, God is a work in progress. And the second was, God is a contradiction in terms. We can expect that Jung will give contradictory impressions or statements on this most elusive of subjects. Quote, Psychologically, the God concept includes every idea of the ultimate, of the first or last, the highest or lowest. The name makes no difference. Unquote. So therefore, God is both good and evil also. A recurring theme through the text is, quote, to believe that God is the sumum bonum, the total good, is impossible for a reflecting consciousness. If you do not lodge the antinomy 
that is, good and evil, in God. Then God is all good and mankind is all bad. Antinomy is this union of opposites. Man has to identify with a good God or identify with being bad. It follows from this argument that it becomes necessary to place the antinomy in the God image itself and not to split it. Another theme is that God is the unconscious and wishes to create, but also oppose consciousness. Quote, the God concept as the idea of an all-embracing totality also includes the unconscious. It includes the objective psyche, which so often frustrates the will and intentions of the conscious mind. Unquote. Jung is acutely aware of an intense drama between God and man, between the conscious and the unconscious. At these times, he seems to identify God with the unconscious, which has created consciousness, but which at the same time opposes its emergence. He says, the unconscious wants to flow into consciousness in order to reach the light, but at the same time it continually thwarts itself because it would rather remain unconscious. That is to say, God wants to become man, but not quite. Unquote. He continues that God wishes to enter into humanity, but this is a contradictory process. God wants to become man, and still does. The unconscious aim is both to divide and to unite. God forces man to harmonise and unite the opposing influences to which he is exposed from the unconscious. Unquote. But after Jung has identified God with the unconscious, then he says the opposite, that God is the archetype of wholeness, or the self, and is a specific part of the psyche. Mm. So from this point of view, God can't be the totality because he is a specific archetype within it. He explains, quote, It is only through the psyche that we can establish that God acts upon us, but we are unable to distinguish whether these actions emanate from God or from the unconscious. We cannot tell whether God and the unconscious are two different entities. Both are borderline concepts for transcendental content. But empirically it can be established that there is in the unconscious an archetype of wholeness which manifests itself spontaneously in dreams and a tendency to relate other archetypes to the centre. Consequently, it does not seem improbable that the archetype of wholeness occupies as such a central position which approximates it to the God image. The archetype produces symbolism which is always characterised and expressed by the deity. These facts make possible a certain qualification of the above thesis concerning the indistinguishableness of God and the unconscious. Strictly speaking, the God image does not coincide with the unconscious as such, but with a special content of it, namely the archetype of the self. It is this archetype from which we can no longer distinguish the God image empirically. Religious need longs for wholeness and therefore lays hold of the images of wholeness offered by the unconscious which, independently of the conscious mind, rise up from the depths of our psychic nature. Unquote. 
At this point, an explanation of a particular conundrum in Jungian theology, let's call it, is required. Jung adopts apparently contradictory positions on the question of the God archetype. Sometimes he argues that it is the totality of the unconscious, and sometimes that it is a specific and central component of the unconscious, as it were a central ordering principle around which the disparate other archetypes the mother, the father, the child, etc., may find their greater meaning. So the conundrum is, is the archetype of the self, that is the God archetype, a specific component of the unconscious or the totality? One is reminded of an ancient aphorism, God is an infinite sphere whose centre is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Perhaps there is some level in which both sides of this conundrum are true. In our next episode, I will respond to some of the most pressing questions that arise from Jung's intriguing work. These will include, if the dualism of good and evil is contained in God, then what is the point of the individuation process in human beings? Why is there no real history or sociology or political science in Jung's work? Can one examine the history of apocalyptical theory without referencing this material side of reality? How can God be a personality as he appears to be in the book of Job in the Bible? Does Jung take this seriously? Is there another interpretation of the book of Job in the Bible besides Jung's? How can God be the archetype of the self? Is God separate from us? Does not the theory of evolution change all our supposed understanding of the Bible? Is what Jung is saying compatible with the theory of evolution? How is it possible that God can be equated with the unconscious? How can the archetype of the self be both a specific archetype, as it were a component of the psyche, and at the same time the totality of the psyche? I will also summarise what we have covered in answer to Job a book with difficulties like the abysms of the earth and ideas as vast as the sky. <laughs>